0: Welcome back to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hi. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with Randy Yao. Randy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's oh. an honor to be here. It's a, a, truly a pleasure to have you. We've uh been listening to your stuff for a long time, and I think uh after talking to a couple people who you know, Scott Arford and Joe Colley, who had uh, lived with you and and spent time, uh, sort of and, and worked with you, I think uh, this was just a natural evolution. <laughs> and I'm excited that uh, you're you're here to talk to us.
1: Yeah, great. Heck yeah! This is certainly one of our most requested guests. Actually, a, a friend of the podcast a couple weeks ago had texted me saying. I will lose my mind if you guys got Randy out on the podcast and I said, Hey, put a tracker on that mind. Because guess what? It's happening. He, out of out of the blue, he he had no idea. Minds are lost. Yes. And so yeah, this is really exciting for us. So I guess, you know, we already mentioned Scott and we mentioned Joe. When did you when did you link up with those guys and when did you when did you live at seven hertz? What was the kind of path to that?
2: Yeah, that's, um, those, those guys are family. Um, uh, you know, it, it, I, 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 I first met them in 95. Uh, it was the, the first NorCal noise festival that I had ever played. Um, and that, that was truly a beginning. It was the beginning of a, of a, of a time for, for me just to like connect with so many people. I mean, I was pretty young. I was like, I was still in college, like my second year in college. And, uh, and I, and I had met like, um, Scott generic in San Francisco while I was in high school and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, but to actually like to perform for the first time and, and, um, at that festival and then meet these people that would become my not only like mentors, but like, you know, partners and peers through the, 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 the next 20 years um was amazing. So yeah, it all kind of started then um and there was just this this energy in California. Uh you know, I was going to school and um in San Luis Obispo. So, you know, I had this I had this adv- like privilege to 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 not only be part of the, you know, uh the SoCal scene but also the NorCal scene right in the middle. Um <laughs> yeah, right in the middle and then even even with that, you know, it was an opportunity for any artists that were coming to California to kind of stop in the middle and play on my radio show so oh, nice. but yeah it it was 95 it was it was kind of a the beginning of that relationship
1: that's cool and your radio show called dark market broadcast if i'm not mistaken correct man you guys know your stuff
2: <laughs> for as, for, i mean for as
1: obscure as this stuff is it's, it's good you guys dig deep <laughs> well, this is this, this is our life. So, you know, we, we love it. And, and so, so when did you end up moving into 7 Hertz? I moved into San, 7 Hertz, uh,
2: yeah, after college, uh, moved up to San Francisco. Um, so it was about 2000. Um, and I, I think I lived there maybe two, two years. Um, but it was like a really, that was like crazy prolific time. Um, but you know, I, I lived, I lived up in San Francisco, like, uh, in the summers between, you know, between school semesters. And so I was like living with Scott generic. And so at that time I was already starting to integrate with the 23, five and seven Hertz and just starting to like play a lot of shows and meet a lot of people. Um, and then obviously when I started, when I lived with Scott, I, I became Really involved with uh, hosting and and starting to set up shows.
1: That's when you. That's when you started that, and uh, and then this would be under the twenty three five banner, kind of that you would set yeah. up the shows.
2: Well, yeah, we did stuff under twenty three five, and then there was some seven hertz stuff, where it was just you know just Scott and I kind of organizing some stuff. But uh, but yeah, yeah, that's when I, I when, when basically when I moved up, that's when I started uh, to really kind of start to run 235
3: Well, it, prior to the Norcal Noise Fest, how long had you been performing?
2: You know, I, I, I didn't, you know, I was just performing like little tiny shows in in like local San Luis Obispo coffee shops and, you know, like living rooms and stuff. Um so, you know, the main the big like the main stage, 20, I think Norcal Noise Fest was probably the first. Um, you know, for a, a real like noise audience, um, and then I had this opportunity soon after that to do like Pain Factory um, cool. because because my performance at NorCal left an impression, um, and and you know my work was a little bit different then, but but yeah, it was yeah
1: that was the start. So what was the evolution of your live performance? Because there are very legendary. How did you, what was the, I guess, what was the evolution? Where, where did you, where, how did it start? And then how did it continue in the nineties? Like what were some of the first shows you did before anyone even really knew what you were doing?
3: Yeah. I mean, we love oh. a living room show for real. Yeah. 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 Of course. And <laughs> to many.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I, it was like, I was young, so, you know, being in high school, Um, I was already doing a noise show in my high school radio station. And then I was also doing kind of a, a, you know, a, a goth kind of noise ambient show at our local college. So I was like in high school doing a college radio too at San Jose state. Um, and so I was, I was already like trying to network and I was, I was just like, I mean, I'm like you guys, it was just like crazy. I was obsessed. I was just like so obsessed with learning and just like, absorbing with as much of the scene as possible. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, in my personal work, it was, I was, I was going to school at that time to study engineer and, uh, you know, I was crazy inspired by SRL, uh, you know, being, being from the Bay area. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, I met Scott generic and I, and I, and I was watching all these kind of performances. We're all like post-apocalyptic and super like, you know, building big instruments and machines and springs and all that kind of stuff. So with, you know, my, my goal was like, I, I'm going to get an engineering degree and I'm going to join SRL. And, you know, you know, that, that's, that's what was my vision at the time. So at the time, my, my performances were like, you know, it was like about kind of instrument building and then testing kind of like electricity. And, and, um, I, you know, I had this thing called amplified capacitance, which is, essentially like taking, um, like guitar sensors and stuff and, and really picking up magnetic and electrical activity, um, with like strobes. Um, so you get that capacitance and the charging mechanism and really amplifying that. And, um, it just did some crazy stuff when you, when you actually, you pick up that sound that way. Um, so it was really like, it was visual too. I was inspired by the things that were happening. Like Scott generic was like, obviously a big fire show and all that kind of stuff. That was kind of like early days. It was just kind of like this, this manifestation of instrumentation and performance and and like optics.
1: Randy, what was some of the first actual noise stuff that you were exposed to? First actual noise stuff. Oh man.
2: I was I was really into controlled bleeding. Heck yeah. Um and Paul like I I was like a freshman in high school and I just started like writing Paul Lemos and we became pen pals for like years. Um and there's just something I like I've always just uh, um, admired about him because he was like a English school teacher and he was like yep. doing this like crazy shit. And I was like, "Man, this guy's awesome." Um, but he was a real inspiration. Um, and so then I discovered dry lungs and in that whole series that he he was like really um exposing to uh, you know, just making a little bit more accessible some of the stuff that was happening, Japanese noise, all that kind of stuff. So that was that was my, you know, that was my introduction. Uh, and I would say like, you know throughout high school, missing foundation was probably one of my key influences of just like this crazy punk noise live actionism, Um, so I would say that's where it kind of started. And then from there, like as soon as you discover like dry lungs and then you start discovering Japanese noise and then like RRR, um, or records as (laughs) Ron, Ron (laughs) insists on announcing it, not triple R. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it just spiraled, right? Do you know um, an artist named Pierre-André Arcond? There's this, like, really rare recording that he did, and um, this this guy in Canada, Yosselin Robert, he released it. But no one knows this record, but it, that was, like, crazy inspiration for me because it's all, like, sound poetry through a tape recorder, but he would loop things, and he, and then he also did, like, basically, like, William Basinski style like, degradation of the the audio, but it's, it's really killer.
1: That kind of makes sense with control booting too, because he, his output is so widely varied, Uh, you Mm -hmm. know, especially as he went on, there was so much stuff. So it kind of makes sense for that to be an early thing to get into. Cause there's so much different stuff to get into with control bleeding. Well, and right? also
0: doing like a goth ambient sort of radio show control bleeding could be played on both your shows with completely different facets <laughs> of them. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. That was the natural progression. But that, yeah, as soon as like, as soon as like I discovered noise, I was like all in, it was just like, it was kind of like, like the punk, the goth, it was like, kind of just took a side seat and I was just like
1: obsessed That's awesome. So, I mean, you mentioned records and 97, I believe, is contiguous, if I'm not mistaken, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So that's early. Yeah. I mean, NorCal Noise Fest is 95. 97, you have the Pure CD still available to this day. (laughs) Now, is that, uh, now, a lot of times with especially noise, a lot of the early stuff, usually it can be let, you know, came out not available anymore, but your, you know, debut CD is still available. How did you think of that at the time? Did you think like, Oh, this is going to be around forever. I mean, what was the approach to making your pure CD?
2: Well, I mean, that was a big opportunity and I, I don't even, I don't even remember how Ron discovered, discovered me or, you know, I know, I know I was probably like, cause I was, I was doing the radio show and I was probably like, ordering as much stuff as I could possibly afford, um, from him. So we probably made some connection in that way. And then, um, you know, I was doing some tapes at the time I was doing a lot of collaboration with like government alpha. And, um, so I, I, just became really prolific in like tapes. Um, but yeah, the, the pure was like the first opportunity. And Ron asked me, you know, I guess he used to send me extra stuff, like free stuff. Um, and then he just, he just invited me to, to do one. And I was kind of like, holy shit, this is like opportunity of a lifetime. Um, and so, you know, I just, I just put, and at that time I was already starting to craft, like where my sound, like the recording was where I was kind of really inspired. Um, and, and just to give you like maybe a little bit of back, back, back backstory on this, like I was obviously super inspired by like Japanese noise. Um, um, but I was also like, I was a huge fan of Paul McCarthy. Um, this, this artist in LA, um, as well as Chris Burden and like all of this actionist artists that are, um, happenings that were, you know, the history of LA art, um, along with Viennese actionism, and it wasn't until actually I, after I did contiguous, I, I it wasn't until after that, I actually discovered like Shim Fluke group and, you know, you know, Dave Phillips and you know, all those guys. So, um, but I knew that there was something about just like this, this immediate abject expression that, that I wanted to kind of capture. And that's kind of why, you know, it's, the name is, I mean, gosh, I don't know. I, I look back at it and I'm like, God, that's so like pseudo intellectual. Like what, what, what the hell does that title mean? But, <laughs> but it was, it was, it was the start of like really um, this idea of actionist recording. And so all, all of my recordings were really based on actual actions that I would do. So just like, you know, find a private room or go in the bathroom or, or somewhere, you know, somewhere just to like a private space where you could just like, physically you know act out or whatever like create yep. sound um and then and then and it's 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 about kind of bringing those happenings together and I and I was also really you know as a child like crazy influenced by Bruce Lee and like you know it the the sound and then the physicality of mm-hmm of that energy. And so that, that's how like my sound kind of culminated. Cause it was just like, you know, it was like, it was a way to just get immediate, like other, either angst out or just like this raw expression, explosive expression, but it was immediate. Like I didn't have to plug anything in. It was kind of this mix of acoustic with, uh, with, with
1: electronic. So you, so how did you record? I mean, you, you, did you, was it to that? Was it to tape?
2: Yeah, it was uh, it was either to tape like microphone to tape um, and you just set up a microphone in a room and you just like kind of go nuts in there. Um, I did a lot of recordings in, in my car because it was like the most silent place. <laughs> um, wow. And and, you know, like a lot of the recordings is just like really like like a lot of like breath and a lot of like physical screaming or, you know, like testing the threshold of your, uh, you know, your throat. Um, And so I needed, I needed either like really quiet spaces, but I also, you know, the advantage of being at seven Hertz or, or even back in my home when I was kind of like in, in school, is just like, you know, finding places that made the sound bigger. So I didn't have that much equipment. So if I wanted like a real big sound, I'd I'd try and find like a, a, a garage to record in. Um, and again, it's just like that, that again, it's really like the inspiration of missing foundation, their early recordings. It's just like, it's just like a microphone and some shit recording of a live performance, but like the distortion of how that sound actually hits that cheap microphone on a tape deck was like brilliant. Like that was like, that was noise to me. Um, and, and you know, that, that's, that's, that's how I kind of recorded. So a lot of different places and, and, and then kind of then actually having, um, a com, a computer to kind of start to bring it together. And
1: Wow. So, so like, for example, that CD is, it's basically recorded over a period of time and then you, you, you sat down and just mashed it together. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
2: wow. So they're just, they're just like quick studies, which is why they're like, The idea of this non-contextual, like, like let the action speak for itself. Don't give it a title. Don't give any, um, but somehow it's all connected.
1: Well, and it seems like the, the crew, your immediate crew, Kali, Arford, et cetera, there is this sort of research and experimental nature to the work you guys did.
3: Yeah. Like it's, it's thought out in advance.
1: A, right. And, and it's, there's, I, I guess, was that something you guys would talk about a lot or is this just something that was came natural to you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's funny when you just said that, I just, I just laugh cause I, I have this fond memory of, um, I don't know if you guys know Jeff Brandon, Finn. Uh,
1: he's not someone we know, but familiar with his work, but don't know him.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, and he kind of like, he hasn't, I mean, I haven't talked to him in, in, Long, I don't even know where he is, but um, he is a dear friend of Damien Romero. But we used to joke around. So, like, when, when Scott and I started getting really close and Joe, and then we were really close with Jeff, Brandon, and Damien, and we used to always just kind of, like, hang out. Um, but we used to always joke around about, like, yeah, just don't do any costume rock. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I I don't know. I, it's a great question. I I think there is something about California. I don't know what it is. Uh, Like there is a conceptual bent to things. Even, even if you think about like GX and the haters, uh, you know, there it's so like focused. Um, And I think GX has a large influence on that. Right. Just uh, like, it's just like, take one thing and just do that thing. Um, and, and, and even AMK, um, and then Damien, like how he crafts, like, I'm going to just focus on this one capacitor and just see what it does. Yeah. And, and it's brilliant, you know, down to, um, to Joe Colley too, just like, okay, let's just like, let's just see what happens when clay absorbs water. Um, so I don't know. I think it was just part of being in California. Um, and you know, I think it it has to do with the, the LA art scene. I mean, LA FMS has a big influence on LA, um, in the Bay area. I think this post-apocalyptic kind of Burning Man culture also has an influence on, on San Francisco. Um, but I think the the beauty is that we've always, we've never seen NorCal or SoCal as a, as like kind of separate, you know, it's, it's, it's been always been a, a mutual respect for one another. And I don't know. I don't I don't know where it comes from, but I think it's it's just like the richness of the, the dialogue that
1: we've all had. That's so cool. And so after Kyle Noise Fest, did you get bit by the live bug? And is that yeah, did, did you re- enjoy it? Yeah, Because, I mean, you did a ton of shows, especially back then, I guess, was the live performance something that you felt really captured what you were trying to do?
2: Yeah. I mean, eventually. Right. So I was talking a little bit about my early sets, which was more about, um, you know, this engineering or instrument making. And so I was still into instrument making. And then I don't know if you guys know, um, but you know, I, I started performing with this thing called the mega mouth, um, which is this, like, it's just this old toy, which is just a really cheap microphone and a speaker and it has this really cheap octave, basically an octave pitch changer in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had altered that toy just so I, I I took advantage of the cheap mic that was built into it. And I just took the speaker off and kind of made a direct connection. Um, and that was like, that's that's kind of like the realization of, oh, okay, now I've got, I've reduced all the instrumentation, all the gear down to something so essential that then I'm just dealing with sound. And, and, and I have, I have very little control and I have, but I have some control. Um, and so I've, I I was able to then hone in on this performance that really captured what I was trying to do live, like in my, in my action kind of recordings, which is like, Oh, now it can just be me and sound and no gear. And, and, and it was like this kind of feedback battle. So, I mean, I think even in the most pure state, you know, I think, um, you know, Dom was, Dom was doing it, you know, with microphone and stuff, but it it was, it was that, it was that, it was just kind of like, how can you strip it all the way down and just be like, it's just you and sound. Um, and so that, that was the birth of like my whole like solo performance. And, and then it became uh, a bit like. Yeah. It became like really interesting because every performance was based on what's the sound system that you're going to give me. Um, and, and how can I actually move about that space and change that sound or structure that sound or, or create a performance that's engaging.
0: What was the most demanding physical aspect of your performances and, and what kind of training or preparation did you do to overcome that stuff. Cause I've heard <laughs> even, uh, today while talking about doing this interview, like Howie Stelzer mentioned a performance that he saw you do with, uh, with eating celery or with celery. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, right. Yeah. The celery performance. That was a, yeah, I actually, I first did the celery performance, um, for, uh, I was invited by the, uh, to do something for the BBC in um, it was Huddersfield. It was a big festival in Huddersfield um, and they had, they, it was a, f- um, it was a food theme. Um, and they invited me and, uh, joke, uh, sudden infant, which was a great honor. I was like, oh my God, I get to play with joke. Um, but, uh, yeah. And so I, I was already doing this mega mouth thing and it was all ba- that it's all based on feedback, Right. Um, but then I, that's when I, that's when I first did the celery thing, which is this concept of feedback, um, a literal, (laughs) uh, but I, you know, I was already kind of doing that stuff behind the scenes and recordings, but, um, to actually take that to the stage was, uh, was something new, but, but to answer your question, physical training, I, not really, it's more mental, um, But, you know, when you start to tour, uh, you know, when I did the big seven and Servant Hertz tour with Michael and Scott, that was definitely built the stamina for voice um, for how long you can, um, you know, endure like just that kind of energy. Um, And so, and then I, you know, with Dave Phillips, you know, he, we used to talk about like that kind of like that you know, what do you do to kind of build that endurance in your, in your vocals? Um, so, you know, we talked a lot about that, but you know, I, it was just, it was just kind of like just get mentally prepared. And then oftentimes it's just, you, you're, if you're mentally prepared to go someplace, your body is going to surpass that. And then, um, you know, I often was actually kind of sore after performances and that meant it was a good performance. Um, and, you know, the vibe of the audience also has to do with that. You know, sometimes it's, um, you know, there's more energy in the crowd. So you like, you get like amped up and, but yeah, I don't know if that answers your question.
0: Oh, totally. It, it does. <laughs> uh, did you have any sort of ritual before performances that you would sort of go through to get ready? Yeah, it's funny.
2: Uh, I, I feel like, like, yeah, it's like, I, I always have to kind of meditate I'm a, um, a bit. And, um, in the past I can, I can feel like a little standoffish before a performance. Cause I'm just like, I'm trying to like get into my mindset. Um, and then after it's done, it's just kind of like, yeah, it's like, so glad that's done.
3: <laughs> did you ever lose your voice on a long tour?
2: I did. I, I, I had an amazing performance in Prague with Michael and Scott and it was right after in Prague that there was a big flood and, and these people that hosted us, they actually like sump pumped all the water out of this basement so we can make that show still happen. Mm -hmm. And everyone worked really hard, but it was like, you know, because of that, I wanted to give it my all. I totally did. And uh, my voice was obliterated. It was gone. And so like I actually couldn't use my voice for like the
1: next three or four shows. How long was that tour? It was uh, a little over a month. Oh, so, I mean, it was a, I mean, I know, I mean, Michael was doing those, just yeah. total just yeah. brutal tours long yeah it was a oh, serial
2: wow. tour man it was like every other night if not um if if not every night but um yeah that was an amazing time
1: and that was all europe all europe yeah
2: it was uh we and uh it was it was um in fact it was right after 911 i believe and we went yeah i went to germany and switzerland and france and and all these crazy places that michael <laughs> michael introduced us to you, like slovenia slovenia
3: yeah you've played some wild places we were looking at lists like man
2: yeah yeah, yeah we we played this oh man gallery capellica in in slovenia and these were these are people that you know they really they they brought us out because they wanted to bring michael out you know he was doing his razor blade performances which was which was really in line with the theme of Gallery Capella. It was all about like actionism and like I mean hardcore people like, you know, hammering nails in their knees or like, you know <laughs> like uh, crazy. Some actually they had a performance where this one doctor like did surgery on himself. <laughs> um but it was just like this I don't know when you find when you find galleries that are like focused on a thing like that, that extreme, it's kind of like pretty special. Um, And so it was it was it was it was kind of an honor for for me to tag along Michael and be able to do our thing there. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember
1: do you remember that show? Do you remember that? like. uh, Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Michael was doing some, you know, that's when he was, you know, he was still doing the razor blade and, you know, slicing himself up a bit. Um, and then uh these really like crazy high frequency rape alarms. Um but yeah, it was it was intense.
3: It sounds like a very intense tour just getting shredded.
1: <laughs> physically <laughs> physically, intense. vocally. Yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah. And you've and you've played shows in China. Did you do a tour?
2: in China, it wasn't so much of a tour. So China was, that was a, that was an awesome era. Um, and you know, the, f- one of the f- first CD releases I did on Oscar Tire was, um, was really around Asia. Um, and it, it's kind of a rare disc, but I'll, I'll send that to you. I still have copies. Um, it's, and, uh, you know, that's, that's when I, you know, I, I've, I met, uh, people in Taiwan and, um, and then all obviously all my uh, friends in Japan. But yeah, um, I was really fascinated with um, the stuff that was happening in Taiwan and then Hong Kong. Um, There's this artist named Dixon D that was starting to really start to, uh, he he runs this label called Noise Asia. Um, And then I happened to meet, um, a curator named Dodwin Yao, who shares the same last name, but it's, it's, it's spelled differently. Um, and he had been following my work for years and running a radio show in China for years. And I had no idea that there was a scene that was uh, emerging in China. And so he and I got really close. Um, and then we, we got really, you know, we were really close with of Karkowski too, who was you know, really fascinated with China as well. Um, and this was a time when, you know, it was like, you know, China didn't take, uh, you know, Hong Kong was still independent and then, Mm -hmm. and then it was all this like political uproar. So there was a lot of like angst in China that was happening, uh, with, with the young generation and, and there was this emerging outlet of noise that was happening. And, um, and so, you know, I, I wasn't the curator, but, you know, I, uh, you know i i was working with dodgewein to help him kind of co-curate the first ever noise festival in beijing wow. um and and dodgewein he he like he you know he's connected with this other kind of world and he was able to get kind of funding and do it like huge <laughs> um and and he made it free too free to the public so it was you know encouraged like non non-noise people to attend. And it was, it was, it was a, it was a huge kind of event, um, in China.
3: That is so cool. Well, we discovered Chinese noise lovers through, um, that zine, just called noise. The
1: the label and and zine noise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and it's so, it's what a cool, what a, what a great label and, 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 love that, that they were doing that. Now what year is was this.
2: The uh, sounding Beijing was I would say I think it's like two thousand three. Okay. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Um and that's uh that was a good time. Like we we were partying like crazy with Spigniev and a dear friend of ours, Helmut Schaefer, who's not with us. Well both not with us. But uh yeah, those were those were some of the best times.
1: Something you, you said Uh, a few minutes ago that I I really liked talking about the mental and the physical and like how, if your mind is kind of set to do something, your body follows suit or can, when did you, when did you discover that?
2: Well, I mean, I, so it's funny. It's funny to ask because The noise, I I think I discovered that through noise actually. And I I especially discovered it with Scott Arford when our first infrasound performance. And I don't know if you know the story on that one. I mean, our first infrasound set together was, you know, it was totally impromptu. We had organized a show and someone like bailed um, at last minute. And so we just had to fill in with some kind of act. And Scott and I had always kind of done things somewhat separate. We had done a recording together Um, but we had very different styles, you know, like he was very much this kind of video static electricity. And, and then I was starting to do my vocal like stuff. And then, but the thing that we always kind of saw eye to eye on and always felt like the power of was, which was low frequencies. Um, and so we're just kind of like, Hey, let's, let's just get together and just like test, test the space and like, and test the sound system and just see, like, let's push it to the threshold of like low frequency. And because like seven hertz is basically a very long shoebox, very narrow with tall ceilings and how we usually set up for shows there, which is like it's all on one end, basically sound system. We just kind of like developed a score with it was essentially like, let's just ramp this thing up from like lowest frequency to just slightly higher and just kind of ramp up the volume as far as we can go without killing the system. But because of the space, it was we created these standing waves that rippled and came back to us. So aboard the end of the set, Scott and I were in at this epicenter of a standing wave and literally we could not breathe. And and then our eyes started wobbling and we couldn't even see straight. And our, like our oh. whole body was just kind of like, Oh my God. It like, we reached a threshold where we couldn't breathe anymore. And so we had to stop it and, <laughs> but like ever since then we've been trying to recreate that and because it's just like when sound like I, i'll be the first to tell you I, like if if i had a choice of like death by sound sign me up because it's like <laughs> that yes. that threshold of when sound just hits you that way is just something that i'm i'm still like you know any opportunity i get you know i'll put myself
0: in that <laughs>
3: That is so extreme.
0: I've had two experiences with sound that powerful. Uh, one where the Connollys were, which was Kevin Drum. Uh, oh, the yeah, sound yeah. was practically forcing you out of the room, trying trying to enter. It was absolutely it, I, I overwhelming.
3: Threw up. Like while he was <laughs> playing, it was, it was I literally. Did. It was a
0: concrete <laughs>
1: four by just four like you're concrete discussing. room. Yeah, concrete. No, just nowhere to go. <sighs> he brought his own PA, and this you know, and it was it. What? Yeah, you could move. The sound,
0: you know, yeah. It was,
1: it, yeah, ter- yeah. She threw up. I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> that and Damien yeah. awesome. Romero
0: at No Fun Fest. Oh yeah, sucked the air right out of oh. me, and I couldn't, I couldn't think or breathe. Just, just feel. I can imagine the sensation being in a place like Seven Hertz, which has yeah, a but renowned in the sound system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that sounds uh, completely overwhelming. <laughs> but but you want more of it right gray <laughs> absolutely yeah oh of course we 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 can't get enough it's now like, can
3: i go
1: again <laughs> what what were some of the earliest sh- shows that you saw that you had that experience like that you just attended well i mean uh yeah so i,
2: I think prior to that infrasound uh event was um yeah when i when i first hosted Spignev. Uh, so I I first hosted we I actually opened for his so that's when I first met him but I was kind of co-organizing that and you know again I was I was still in college and it was like oh hey Mr. Karkowski and you know really polite but yeah he he became a, a a huge mentor and a and a dear friend and um and so like when I saw him and 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 that's his whole philosophy is like take it take it to a place where you can't even think you can only focus on the sound and his motto of, like, all that exists is vibration. There's nothing else. You know, that's always been kind of the, the root
1: foundation of infrasound and what, what Scott and I do. Did you see any of those Merzbau and Masana shows when they were doing the West Coast shows in the 90s?
2: Yeah, I remember making the four-hour trek up to Sacramento when he yes. played at EM- EMRL. Um, and then we had dinner together and all that stuff. Yeah, it was just, like, total fandom
1: <laughs> well, we 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 saw him a a few years ago, uh, a couple times, and one one of the best times is we were at it was in New York, and we were Tara and I were there for sound check, and he was sound checking. I mean, it was it was loud. I mean, it was really loud and he, he walks into the middle of the floor. I mean, it's empty. It's just all, everyone's setting up. We're all there and we're all, we're all watching it. Like it's a same we're all yes. just kind of like, it's oh, like, this is awesome. And, and, and it is, it is so loud. And he just turns around to the sound guy. Doesn't say anything. Just kind of puts his, puts his finger up like, Turned up. Yeah. Little, like, and we're just, and we all we all just oh, cheered. Yes. We we're like, yeah, yeah, like it was just this great moment of like <laughs> it, it needs to go louder. Like and, and, yeah. and I mean it was already so loud, you know? And, yeah, I mean it was blowing your that hair was back. definitely one of the most crushing <laughs> sets. It was, it was beautiful. Yeah.
2: I mean that's that's um yeah, I mean that that's the that's the the, the thing that we always try to do with 235 and and seven hertz, but You know, it was, it was the, the difference of, you know, these, these kind of more crusty noise shows that, you know, you just, you just pull as many amplifiers you can get and you still, you can make it loud. But with, you know, with, with seven Hertz and 23.5, we always, we always spent our own money to rent a massive system that had proper subwoofers. And it was kind of like, that's, that's what made the followings so, so deep in, um, in San Francisco, because like, it was, it was the, the only venue you could like really experience like almost like stadium quality noise performances. And it's, it's just like, you know, not, not to say like a living room performance is any different energy. It's, it's still like, it's a different thing. But like when you're, you know, when you've, when you're given a massive sound system and, and you... You bring like, you know, a gutter punk like myself or some kid that's never performed on a stage before. And then you're like, you put them and you plug them into this massive thing. It's like, it's like enlightening.
3: <laughs>
2: it, be- it becomes religious. Yeah. Man, that's so sick. Oh, and
3: I, I don't know the significance of twenty three five. The name, the as a name. As a name. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Um yeah, that's that was kind of named by Scott Generic, and I think it's it's a the earth, the tilt of the Earth's axis is twenty three point five degrees. And then there's a lot of like William S. Burroughs, um, you know, twenty-three uh twenty-three chromosomes. Um so it was this is something like he kind of like, you know, coined for the well, I'm, lot I'm of
3: thrilled it. by that. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: in I want to say around ninety-seven, ninety-eight. You did a tour in Japan with Kralyn. Is this correct? Yeah, yeah. Ninety. I think it was ninety-eight. That was exciting.
2: I I had already kind of like hosted Kazumoto Endo and Yasutoshi from Government Alpha and MSBR, and um, you know we had a lot of like people through. So I was able to host people at um, in San Luis Obispo on KCPR on the radio station. Um, and so to, to go back and actually go to Japan for the first time and, and perform and meet everyone, it was, it was amazing. Joe was a giant. I mean, he's so, so tall. Um, I'll never, I'll never forget. We stayed, um, we played this show in Toyama. It's just like this farming country city and up North. I um, mean, it was with a uh, seed mouth. Um, so cool. Oh my God. Yeah. And he hosted us in his home and his mother like cooked for us. And, but I'll never forget like the, they had the traditional bathroom stalls in the house. Um, and I swear it's like three feet by three feet and it's, and it's just a, like, it's just a, like a urinal. Um, but to this day, I'm just like, I don't know how Joe was able to take a, (laughs) take a, take a, take a shit in there. (laughs)
3: <laughs> his knees hit each wall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's
2: like his thigh is already
1: three feet. <laughs> what did you bring over for performing as far as uh, equipment? Was that when you were doing the you were doing the Mega Mouth?
2: Yeah, I was doing the, the Mega Mouth thing. And then, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, yeah, I was, uh, you know, very inspired also by, obviously, Masana. But, uh, but actually to play at bears with him was, was yeah. killer. Um, of course. so I, I actually like later after, I think the year after that Masana asked, asked me to build one for him, build a megamouth for him. So I was like, yeah, sure. Of course. <laughs>
3: <What>? <laughs> oh, cool. And you did? Yeah. Oh, cool. oh, that's
2: so
1: cool.
3: What did it feel like going to bears for the first time?
2: Oh, oh man. You know, Bears, going to Bears for the first time wasn't so, you know, it was all right. It's just like, it's just another club, but you know, obviously the boredom's great, but yeah, it's just another club. What was really exciting is we went, we went like Joe and I and Mazo, he he took us shopping uh, and, and we went to like basically the Japanese version of Guitar Center and we were kind of all like just jamming with all the wow. different pedals together and like to but just to see Mazo in that light right, like just kind right, of right. like not not on stage and just kind of like having fun
1: uh was was uh was so awesome amazing was he did he was he plugging in like at the stores was he plugging in and playing yeah I mean they're just like you know, like it was like
2: a chaos pad. You could test, yeah. and we were just like. <laughs> oh. yeah. did, you did anyone record it? That would have been good. Yeah. Oh, that would have been amazing if we did. But yeah, I mean, it sounded really silly. Yeah. I, we were doing yeah. really like totally stupid, silly things, but. Um, <laughs> But that, but that was the beauty of it. It was like, so not what anyone would do. Right. What was your gear through the years? Like before the mega mouth, after the mega mouth. I'm a minimalist when it comes to gear. Uh, just because I, I used to carry a lot of shit and it was like everything from my homemade, like power supplier that I could like vary, you know, a variable power supplier. So you can like, Starve you the can, starve the pedals. Exactly. (laughs) Um, and doing all that kind of stuff. And it was, it was great, but you know, lugging all that stuff is pain in the ass. Um, and then setting it up and there's just so much, there's a beauty in that. And and that's what I respect about like, you know, tabletop. It's like, there's, there's always going to be a known, like, did you, did you, you know, it does, it's not always what you think it is. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, to to tell you the truth, I just got fucking lazy. You know, once once you like f- you figure out an instrument that's just like I can just tour with something that's in the palm of my hand, um, and one like hundred foot cord, <laughs> and th- and then I just put on the rider, like just supply me with a guitar amp and a PA, and we're set. And I need I just need like a you know at least an hour sound check because the sound check is for me where, where the creation happens. That's where it's where you're finding, you know, how do I move around the space that's going to yield a certain sound? Um, and so my individual performance as minimal as it is, it's, it's a, it's an extensive like kind of exploration of how to actually do something in a space. Um, and so that's, that's the beauty of infrasound too. It's the same exact thing, but a much bigger setup. Um, But, you know, ever since that, I, I just kind of, yeah, I kind of got lazy, (laughs) but also just like this idea of like the real time discovery of, okay, how does this, how does this performance become site specific? Um, How does it become unique to this space and what I can do with this space?
1: One question about going back to the Japanese tour that a, a listener did want to know, he had heard of a legendary show at Ned's. Possibly with with and it was uh, possibly government alpha was playing. Is am I? Is this is this near correct? Was there a show at Ned's? There was a show at Ned's. Yes, the little, tiny little record store.
2: Wow. Yeah. Gosh. And was Ned's. You and was that with and Crawl Unit as well? Yeah, Crawl Unit played, and then and I think I did a solo set, and I think yeah, I think Yasu wanted to do something really quick, and then we just like what the hell. I mean, it's well, like ten ten people in a store, like right. I mean, it's, I, we've ne- we've never been, <laughs> we've but I mean, it is photos.
1: it is tiny, yeah. right? Oh god, yeah, it's the
2: size of like this bedroom. Um, <laughs> do
1: you knock anything over?
2: I don't think so, um, <laughs> but you know, like when you have a tiny crowd in a small space and you tell stories. <laughs>
3: you know um
2: I think the energy was definitely like heightened and everyone was super excited and um you know Yasu is like super animated so I think you know all it takes is like someone to fall over and it's like it becomes legend 100% but (laughs) (laughs) but if you if anyone ever caught it on video
1: it'd be like it'd probably be
2: like the lamest thing you ever saw
1: <laughs> I don't know. There's some great video, especially of Government Alpha. Oh. And I think a show that Gray saw in Michigan where he you know jumps up on the table. He would, yeah. he, he was known for he would he would uh, he would jump up on that table. Great
3: vertical leap. Yeah, yeah,
1: oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I just watched the uh, like a vagina TV VHS and uh, Masana's rolling around in a record shop in that one too. There's oh, yeah. like a set in a record shop that's like total freak out.
2: Yeah. It's, it's actually now that you're, yeah, it's now it's conjuring memories and I, you know, Kazumoto was there, Yasu was there and his friends, like I remember Yasu's friends, they were like, they were their fans. And so they were just like, you know, really like energetic, but I do remember at Ned's it, it kind of, because it was like such a small amplifier that you could fit in there. It just started to become very acoustic and I think everyone just started, you know, kind of starting yelling you know like just everyone started to scream and and um just participate and i think that's that's probably the story that you're hearing helping
1: <laughs> yeah They were every, everyone was everyone got involved <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's so sick amazing so you also in addition to running tear in addition to three five and 7 hertz you designed one of the classic noise series covers groundfall series correct yeah eric hoffman
2: pinch 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 a loaf records that's right remember that oh yeah yeah. oh yeah yeah
1: Yeah. no eric is eric is such such an amazing guy and now was and i believe he talked about norkel noise fest 95 as well did you meet him there yeah. Yeah. He was what there. A, what a, what a, what a show.
2: That really. was, that was it. Yeah. That was amazing.
1: And he said that it's the, those designs were done. Like the black is, is Xerox. What was, what was, the, what was, I guess who came up with the concept for the design? Did he give did he kind of just let you go or did he have an idea where like, well, I want the white and the color. Who, I guess what was the process of coming up with the design for the ground fault CDs?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I mean, I think Eric, Eric was, uh, um, God, I haven't talked to him. I got to reach out to him, but that guy, he is just like insane workaholic. And when he gets obsessed, he's just like, he's like, you know, all business. But yeah, I mean, I think he essentially wanted to do something like the pure series, but, um, you know, he had a lot of connections with, uh, in LA, on Downey with like a manufacturer that he could do like quantity for a really good price. So he, you know, his, his whole thing was like, look, I want to like put out a ton of releases. Um, and so he, I think he wanted to just do something efficient as as like a series, but like have it kind of rich and also feel like unique and not like pure. It's just the sticker. It's, it's the same cover, but it's different sticker. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I I think we just did some really quick designs and the name obviously inspired it by this, this breaking ground kind of idea. And um, I just wanted to do, do something that felt like visceral and that, but that's something that Eric could, could, could continue to do over time. So all we did, you know, all we did was we decided to like, yeah, just start photographing a lot of like different textures and cracks and and then also like photocopied textures. And then it just became like a system. Um, And then, you know, Eric and the artist would choose kind of like what color maybe that they liked. So, yeah, that was that.
1: What were some of the textures, what were some of the objects that are... I mean, I think it looks like some might be leaves. Makeup? <laughs> I believe the print is makeup, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, is it? Recall?
2: Oh, I don't remember. Um, okay. God, I remember doing prurients. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I mean... I I can't, I mean, it's, it was always like, there was a deadline. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Okay. You know, go shoot some shots and you know, what's, how do we like keep it like fresh and not repetitive?
0: Did Um, you ever batch up a bunch like ready to go and then, and then fill them in with artists or was it pretty much like bespoke each time you'd go take some new photos? No,
2: it was always, it was always like kind of, uh, yeah, it was always kind of on demand. Yeah. Made to order.
3: <laughs> we really enjoyed finding the tiny bastard noise skull uh, on the cover. Like that took a while. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. Great job. <laughs> yeah, that
2: was, that was uh, definitely Woods
1: requested that one. So
2: yeah. it's, it was
3: tricky. <laughs> <laughs> I oh. had never noticed it as many times as we had seen it.
1: <laughs> but you worked with some some really cool people on Oscar Terror too. Lionel Marchetti. That, that CD is oh, amazing. So How did you uh, get in contact with him? His, his, uh, um, you know,
2: his little three inch, I can't remember the name of the title now, but, uh, uh, his three inch, uh, Matamkin was so amazing to me. Like the, the voice that was in that recording had always struck me like a lot of like the, the work I was doing with like, you know, my recordings it's, it's like, I don't know. I kind of ride this fence, right? Like I was influenced by actionism, but I was also influenced by like... Music concrète in France and this, you know, electroacoustic way of building things. Um, But yeah, uh, Lionel was a a, a total inspiration for me. And so um, I had gotten in touch with him and that's actually his first recording
3: that I released. Oh,
1: Oh, you know what? I I think I read it because it's in the book. I knew it was early. I didn't realize it
2: was his first recording. It was one of his first recordings. And so when I asked him, like, hey, I really want to do something with you. Something special, and he's like, "Okay, I have something special." And so it's just like, "This is my, this is one of my earliest recordings."
3: Oh wow! Wow. That's you also
1: really worked cool. with "Contagious Orgasm," yeah. uh, a favorite around here. That's that's a that is a classic. Again, was that just now Did you meet, did you meet him in Japan, or
2: was that just um, through the,
1: through the mail? It was
2: through the mail, and I, and yeah, I think we we finally met in Kyoto. Not Kyoto and um, Osaka, yeah, yeah. That's, that's but sick. he he wasn't that
1: prolific
2: after, you know. He just kind of kind of stopped, right?
1: Uh, well, he, there might be a there might have been a a, uh, a downtime, but, but he's still going. But, oh yeah, going yeah, 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 now, yeah. yeah. He's okay. he's definitely back in SSSM. He's been doing a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, and no, he's he's definitely maybe there was a little break, but he's been he's definitely been ramping it up it's funny with, I mean, there's a lot of guys from that era dissecting tables. Another great example. Like he puts out like 20 things a year still. And like I had no idea. idea. We were like like looking at his, we're like, (laughs) Oh my God. Like it's, and you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. (laughs) There's like some of those guys, you just, maybe they just just, just kept going.
3: And it's fun to just like close your eyes and pick one. Like, I don't know where do you even start? Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess that would lead us to probably one of the biggest questions that people were asking us. So around 2008, it seems that was kind of for, for you at least there didn't seem to be a ton after that. What gives? (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean,
2: yeah. Recording is, uh, yeah. You know, the, the collaboration I did with, Kazumoto, uh that took forever. Just I, I don't know. I got into this f- this perfectionist kind of area where it's just like, oh my god. And then like the thing that I did with Dave Phillips too, like that was like five years. And it and I think it's just, you know, you you can call it whatever you want, but I you know, it's essentially procrastination. Um
1: <laughs> I like but, the honesty.
2: Yeah. I like the honesty. Yeah. yeah. Um but you know, it, I, I, I haven't recorded in a long time, but, um, um, Garrett had just reached out to me actually. Um, and just want, you know, he was kind of like, Hey, I'm really interested in doing something with you or, or maybe a collab or something. And, um, and so I, I kind of entertained that and I went back to my vault of like raw recordings and was like, Holy crap, I got a ton of stuff here that I never did anything with. So, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? It, it's, it's, it's funny that you bring that up and and that we're the fact that we're even having this interview, it's like, um, I feel like I just kind of dropped off and, and, and this, this year, I don't know, maybe it's the pandemic or whatever, but like the, it's, I've been kind of reconnecting with a lot of people. Um, and so it's like, I, I've always found noise, just really interesting from a cultural phenomenon of, of connection, um, you know, like when I, when we, when we in the late nineties and, you know, that was like pre early nineties, it was all done by mail. And that was, was so, so special. It was like this mail order kind of idea where like these special packages that you would mail to each other. Um, and then the internet blew up and then it became like, oh, now like the globalization of noise, um, happened. Um, so I don't know, this is a really interesting time. I think, uh, for, no not not that noise has ever kind of dipped but a resurgence of a, a new cultural era of noise
1: do you think especially when when the internet did start becoming more ubiquitous do you see someone like koji being this with the msbr site and board was that a big uni- unifying location that were became the, you know, the, the global element of it really was kind of centralized. Did you kind of see that with, with MSPR and what Koji was doing? Absolutely.
2: Yeah. He was like, he was a total connector, right? Like he, he connected a lot of people. Um, And it's, it's, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's about kind of like this community and celebrating all the work. And, and he, you know, he had no bias either. It was, you know, I, I, I'll never forget. Like a lot of people have same stories about Obe, Um, and reaching out to him and it was very selective, but that, you know, that's just the cultural, you know, in the politest sense, but like, um, you know, he was very selective. He had a very specific vision, so not everything fit within that. But like Koji was just like, come all, come as you are. Um, and you know, Grux in San Francisco is, is, is that legacy, I think in the Bay Area, it's just like, come as you are. I don't care if this is your first show or if you're last show, it's just like, let's just
1: do it. And if you were on tour, he'd usually show up with some bread and a bunch of mixtapes tapes for the van. I got a pillow. Yeah. And it was once. awesome. Yeah, and, yeah. 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 It was awesome. You, maybe
3: a mixed VHS. Yeah. Oh, so definitely. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. My yeah.
3: favorite introduced <laughs> us to so many things. Yeah. So it was, yeah. It was like, like the, it, was it was always
1: the best. Um. So what, What was the last show? The last show was actually Infrasound.
2: um, And uh, that was in Switzerland. uh, um, Was it last year or is it a year? I think it was like the
1: year before last year. Oh, so you did play. So it's relatively recent.
2: Yeah. I mean, Infrasound. So Infrasound, we don't do any recordings because it's all about the physicality of the, the actual experience itself. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, we record everything, but we don't release anything. Um, but yeah, that was, um, I can't remember what number show that was, but yeah, we've, we've kept that alive. Um, you know, if, if not like once a year, um, and that, that's, that's been, that's been kind of like where that, that keeps me connected for sure. But those shows are really special and, and we had, we did that show just following Kevin drum. Um, he, oh, he wow. was, in, he was invited out there as well. And where was that? it
0: the Luff festival.
2: No, this uh, Luff, we did, we did do infrasound at Luff, and, you know, we performed solo as well. Um, and, but no, we were invited out specifically. It was just us and Christina Kubisch, Um, and, uh, it was at eCal. Uh, it's a, it's actually a, a graphic design art school in, in Switzerland. Um, and, um, the, uh, uh, Tebow Walter, who is the curator for Luff, um, is like, was a kind of an assistant professor now professor there. And so he, you know, he, he was trying to bring, bring sound to that, that school. Um, and so he, he invited us to do a very specific installation and a performance, um, yeah, it was pretty special. They they gave us a sound system that was impeccable.
3: That sounds so intense. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Especially in Switzerland. I'm just thinking about, like, avalanches and, like, another... <laughs> I mean, because, yeah. you know, glaciers, icebergs are known to produce infrasound, too. So, like, you were communicating yeah. with them. That's very cool.
2: That would be the ideal, right? But it was very institutional and... Um, oh. And... <laughs> And if you, I mean, if you know the Luft Festivals, Tebow is amazing, right? He's, he's so hyper-intelligent, but you know, he, like he was there to kind of like break these barriers and and cross thresholds with this very institutional factory Mm -hmm. and, and make people feel something that they've never felt before. So like, you know, bringing Kevin Drum and then bringing us. And it was like you know he wanted to stir up controversy, like you yeah. you consider you're an art you you consider yourself an art school, well, have you experienced this? <laughs> wow, yeah, well
3: it's it's so visceral too like it it makes you aware of your body, so if they're incredibly cerebral, I'm sure that at least touched on something,
2: yeah, yeah, sorry, so, gray, I didn't oh you know. no, I was just gonna ask
0: uh, <laughs> since we're talking about live performances, do you do you prefer working live to working in the studio or back then when you were more active, did you prefer playing live to working on studio recordings?
2: I think they're really, they're two different practices for me. Um, I mean, I mean the, the recording aspect does is requires kind of a performance aspect about recording the like performances, not live performance, but private performances and then taking the best like moments from those and like you know, piecing it together to become one movement. Um, but no, I, you know, I think I, I like the, I like the live performance because there's less control, uh, and, and it's just immediate and it's not, it's not final either. It's, it is final and that you experience and then it's gone. It's ephemeral. Um, and there's something about recordings that live on forever that probably, you know, stoke the, the, perfectionism, um, that goes into it. But then, but then the beauty of what I find in recordings is, is trying to find those happy accidents and, and those things that, that are really like, you, you can't control, but, but it, you once you record it, it becomes something that's, you know, forever. So, you know, I think they're just two different mediums, but I, I, you know, I, I'm just, uh, I'm just notoriously slow. <laughs>
1: Well, I, I really love earlier when you were saying how you would record, the, go into a bathroom, record into the you know the getting the actual you know room reverb of a garage. The
3: thought of you in your car is great.
1: That's amazing. It's a great sound. Any, booth. any <laughs> other memorable places that you recorded in a car, you know, car bathroom, garage? Is there any other kind of place that you that you found was was great for recording?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, there was field recording was part of it, too. Um, And then, you know, finding specific locations or, um, uh, you know, nature. Um, But no, like uh, most of it was so at a micro level. So so a lot of it was in, and just needed like a really quiet space and seven Hertz is the loudest space you could ever live in. (laughs) Um, and so hence, you know, the car, but, you know, trying to capture like what's happening in your esophagus or like, like those micro sounds, it just required a lot of, you know, private spaces. And then, you know, a lot of bathroom recordings of vomiting and, (laughs) Actually, if you listen to my, what is it? Coagulation. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, a, you know, there was a recording in there where, like, I had just had dinner with, like, Joe Colley, I think, and um, I had just got, like, crazy, crazy sick. And and so I recorded that whole session.
3: <laughs> wow. I love that idea, like, to record this, <laughs> I there don't was don't let it go to waste.
1: There was uh, actually it was a, a a while ago that we Tara and I listened to the Hidden Tongue while we were eating dinner, and I texted oh. him like, "Dude, we're listening to Randy out while we're eating dinner." And he's like, "Oh, why?" He's like, "I'm like, it's great, it fits, it's, it yeah. like feels really like there's something really like we're having great a about communal it." Dinner, yeah, 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 and he's like, "Oh, that sounds horrible." <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't. It was beautiful. I loved it. It was great.
3: Well, and yeah. I also wanted to share with everybody before we started recording, we were talking about um, Ascoltare and the the character that you use with your recordings. And, and you said that means heart sounds.
2: Yeah, literally. It's like <sighs> the first the first character is heart and then the second character is uh, sound.
3: I love that so much.
0: You said you went to school for engineering. Did you study graphic design there or how did you get involved in designing things? Because I have a whole stack of flyers and booklets here that you've designed <laughs> and, <laughs> and of course the ground fault cities. I'm, and the, the, I think all the 235 five releases have your hand on them too, right? Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's my, that's my day job. Um, and uh, you know, I, 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 I had had this dream of, you know, working for SRL, SRL. Um, and so it was like, Oh, maybe I'll, you know, I'll study electrical engineering. That'd be my way in. Um, but my brain doesn't work that way. So I, I totally, I flunked out in two years and, and then I kind of finished my degree in graphic design. Okay. So not, I mean, not, not exactly a cop out, but like I, you know, I, I did, I was so passionate about, um, uh, you know, I was already designing all the, like the ground fault stuff before I got my degree in design and, um, yeah. So it was just like, it was kind of a natural progression.
0: And uh, some of the flyer, well, all the flyers I'm referencing right now that I have here are for, uh, the activating the medium and some other festivals and shows. How did you get started doing that? That seems to be a pretty, uh, expansive project.
2: Yeah. Activating the medium, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So that was my first, uh, that was the festival that I started. um, And that was in, again, in San Luis Obispo because it was bridging, um, you know, it was a a passageway from SF to to LA for a lot of noise artists on tour. Um, And it was also part of my like thesis in college. Um, But I did, I did two major events there. Um, but the first was really like bringing LA noise and San Francisco noise together in one place. Um, and so I had, I had organized a show. It was like Damien. That was the first activating medium. It was like Joe Colley, Damien, um, Jeff Brandon, Finn, um, and then Scott Arford. Um, and then on top of that, John Duncan, uh, representing oh, LA. Wow. Representing wow. an, representing yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so that was my my first kind of big thing, and you know, heck of a first. Oh, thing. Scott, generic too. <laughs> um, yeah, um, but you know that that festival became. That's also why my like my own recordings, I didn't I didn't just didn't do that much because I would just I just shifted to really more promoting and bringing you know more artists to the community. Um, but yeah, that, that was a, that was a long stint. It was a lot of work Yeah, you know,
1: activating the medium. And the legendary shows.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Man, yeah. this is
1: so, so cool. Talking to you, getting all this, all these great stories. Yes. Oh, one yeah. thing I did want to ask, were you at, this is not, this is more to do with the crew. Were you at the death squad show with the gun? Do you know what I'm talking about?
2: E, um. Phil I, was there. I like, don't think. I don't think. I, I feel was like. You, yeah. Because I mean, yeah, it's like he like there. loaded
1: the gun. Oh yeah, yeah. Phil. Yeah, yeah. He's like. Oh, you should see who was at that show. Because I, I think Phil there. said he was there, and he yeah. said it was like it was like real. It got real. It got
2: intense, real. Like so it got many real. live
3: performance. Uh, uh, questions. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Every I, yeah. I've had endless nights of you know talking about that and that. You know, I I I. I wasn't in San Francisco at the time for that hmm. so I had moved uh, soon after.
1: As we always like to you know let everyone know of course the 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 Pure CD still available directly from R- records and uh, the Ground Fault CD I I'm not sure if it's one that 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 Eric still has there's he definitely some are are no longer available directly from him, but a lot still are so You can try. We'll if we'll make sure to check before and we'll have mm. a link up there for yeah. the hidden tongue, an incredible yeah. mm-hmm. CD. And now are you you said you still have stock of some of the all tear stuff? Do you sell any of that directly? Do you just kinda you know, I I don't I don't sell
2: directly anymore, and I'm not sure if Eric Hoffman does either. He used to do all distribution, but um,
1: he, I, he I, he's he's been selling. He sells it on his discogs. Yeah. So oh, okay, yeah, he yes. definitely does. So we'll, we'll cool. make sure to put a link up for with his uh, discogs up because he still yeah. has stock and is selling it for sure. Cool. Um, I will I will
2: plug um, Skeleton Dust Records. I just I just sent um a ton of stuff. So all right. Lexus. You can always get stuff from from him.
0: Cool.
1: There you go.
3: Absolutely.
1: And yeah, any any plans for anything? Any any talk of it? Well, obviously shows are you know on hold, but not everywhere actually. I mean, has there been any talk about infrasound doing another thing or? Yeah, you know, whenever the opportunity arises,
2: and um, if they can accommodate the the system that we need to to do it, then we're always game on that one. I think Scott and I will do that till we till we like can't do it anymore.
1: Or Maybe it will just be the final, <laughs> yeah. like you said, death by sound. Maybe you guys actually, maybe maybe it's euthanasia. You oh. guys, <laughs>
3: well, you guys, this is
1: like this is the last show. We're doing it until <laughs> we until it's over until our heart stops. Okay so. then. Okay, I, so I want to be then at that infrasound show.
3: infrasound on a glacier. Yes. Maybe that would be a good way to make that yes. happen. Yes. Infrasound underwater in the deep ocean. Maybe you'll attract some really cool. You know, deep sea mammals, Uh, and then uh, what else? Volcanoes, good source of infrasound. Um, These are all very dangerous ways to go with infrasound. (laughs) That's
2: that's the next level where it's the natural occurrence. We go to the source. (laughs) All right. Well,
1: I think we need to make this happen. Anyone listening who has access to a volcano and a glacier,
0: (laughs) preferably next to each other.
1: Yes. It can happen. Let's let's make this happen. I'm into it. Well, Randy, thank you so much. This was so cool.
3: Yes. Thank you. And really appreciate uh, it. Well, suggest. I'm so glad you talked to us. Like, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This thank
1: has been you. awesome.
2: Thank you so much.
3: You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com/noiseextra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one e in those, and on Twitter at noise extra with three a's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.